if they had done as Guardians of the Galaxy and then done the Jane Foster thing, as Guardians of the Galaxy could have been considered a Natalie Portmanteau. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. the proper approach pattern for today. Negative. All weapons! Now! Charge the lightning field! Blastoff! Blastar. <laughs> Who's going to be cast as Blastar? Um, Nathan Fillion. Why not? Why not? And honestly, the why not? Why the f- uh, not? I don't know. F- it. Maybe just get to the guy who played Belky in, uh, in Perfect Strangers. Why not? No, no. We're going to cast actual Balky Bartokamus to be Blaster. <laughs> Bronson Pinchow? Yeah. Yep, you got it in one. And I always confused him with Jurgen Pronchow, which is <laughs> a way, the horse of a different color. I'll tell you what, In the Mouth of Madness would have been a way different movie if it was Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> Aquel? Das Boot would have been really interesting. Welcome to Dispatch Ajax. Hey, this is our show! Yeah, this is the show. I'm Jake, and this is my best bud. Uh-huh. No, say your name. Oh, I'm scared. Yeah, no, say it. Say it where they can hear it. Say my say name, right Bastion! <laughs> uh, Moonchild! <laughs> he is... Moonchild. Moon unit. I'm a Zappa kid, as it turns out. This is you're Ahmet. A, and I, uh, you're a Moon Knight, is what you are. What are we talking about? Well, oh, castings. Yeah, we're talking <laughs> about... Uh, this episode is supposed to be about comic book movie casting. Mm-hmm. Something that we are all very much into, I guess, at this point in our lives, since superhero films dominate everything. Uh, all of Hollywood and the box office. And I think it's definitely in the wheelhouse of people like you and I specifically, not just because of who we are, but because of how old we are. We watched the evolution of the comic book film sort of take over Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This is things we really cared about and still do care about. It's just we get it so often now that it's like, well, okay, all right, I guess. But when it's good, it's good. When they nail it, they nail it. We can also get into like audio casting too. You know, Batman the Animated Series, Shirley, uh, not Shirley Walker, but... Uh, Andrea Day O'Connor. What's her name? Andrea Day O'Connor, that person that doesn't exist. Some little girl in Ohio is like, it's me. <laughs> Daddy, they were uh, talking about me. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I'm sure she's listening to this. We're going to tag her in this, so she'll... We'll <laughs> yeah, I'd say in 1988 probably is when the shit fittery of comic book movie casting began. Mm, For that is when uh, Michael Keaton... Uh, was cast as Batman, and Jack Nicholson was cast as Joker. So each of those were put in their roles for different reasons. Some of it was talent, some working relationships, some studio pressure. But either way, mm-hmm. both of those actors ended up working out smashingly. Mm-hmm. They both defined those characters for a new generation and truly opened up the wings of the superhero genre, which since then has soared to ever greater heights, some dips notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, at the time... There was no real or widely available internet, let alone podcasts like these dipshits have. There are other guys in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's those guys. I don't like them. Their show sucks. Your show sucks. Sorry. Yeah, they know. Mm-hmm. Because if there had been 
there's a good chance that fan revolt might have scuppered the whole process before it could have emerged from the shadows. Imagine the Snyder Cut fan schists, but cranked mm. up to 11. There was legitimate mm. skepticism and apocalyptic anger when the news of Michael Keaton being cast as Batman broke. So there have been a ton of people up for this role. I mean, this was like a, a hot new role in Hollywood. People like Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Tom Selleck. I mean, even Pierce Brosnan. Mm. Uh, a lot of like big names really could have commanded the screen. <laughs> you know, the sad part about the Pierce Brosnan thing is he still couldn't get out of his Remington Steel contract. <laughs> That's the only reason he wasn't Bond and Batman. Think about how that is for you. So Remington Steel ended in 1987. But they would have casted Batman 89 and... Well, no, they casted in 88. Okay. So, right. yeah, production didn't start on that till 88. They had been working on different things with different directors and producers before that. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he had read the script. I would have liked to have seen what he would have done with so, that, honestly. He didn't get it, and that it's a guy running around in his pajamas, and he thought it was kind of dumb, and he didn't think that he could make this work. But then after the movie came out, it was a huge success. He was like, I was so wrong and it completely worked and they knew what they were doing. Nah, so it was like um, Sean Connery in The Matrix. Yes. Yeah. Or Will Smith. You know, it was like, I read it. I didn't get it at all. Boy, would that have been a weird, weird alternate universe where we have Sean Connery as Morpheus and Will Smith is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's the, here's the quote. I went and met with Tim Burton for the role of Batman, but I just couldn't take it seriously. Any man who wears his underpants outside his pants just cannot be taken seriously. That was my foolish take on it. It was a joke, I thought. But how wrong was I? Yeah. Especially since you were in Remington Steel. <laughs> I mean, you'd had Superman mm -hmm. yeah. come out a decade before this. There weren't superhero movies weren't a thing. Comic books were still mostly viewed as dumb. You just had Killing Joke and The Dark Knight come out recently. Mm -hmm. The revolution of 86 was the big turning yeah. point. But, I mean, that hadn't migrated out to the mass culture. No. Why would any of these work? You're going to dress a guy up as a bat and he's going to fight crime? That's stupid. Well, we need to get into that later at some point, too. The whole seduction of the innocent comic books are for kids thing. That <laughs> yes, yes. I know. I know. <laughs> it's funny. I'm just like, saying. We, we need to have a chime that every time you say, we need to do seduction of innocent, we, we press a button. And, like, there's a siren that goes off. The seduction of innocent no, siren. No, 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 no. That siren is specifically dedicated to me talking about image comics and ruining the comic book <laughs> industry. But that's a different... <laughs> he said the noise. Ah! Uh, it's, yeah, it's the word of the day. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Cherry? <laughs> I think it sounds like sh <laughs> I could use Jombie right now. We all do, Skip. We all do. Mm -hmm. nope. So at the time, uh, Michael Keaton was essentially known for comedies, you know, like Mr. Mom, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. And when fans found out about it, they were apoplectic. <laughs> You've been sitting on that one for a while, haven't you? Actually, that came right off the top of my dome. This, that's not written Whoa, on my script. Oh, I like that. Over 50,000 fan letters screaming about Keaton's casting were sent to Warner Brothers. Just think about that. 50,000 times people sat down, wrote out an entire letter, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, sent it out. Mm -hmm. Now, it's different like when you're just typing, Snyder's the best of all time, have him make everything. But that's just a passing whimsy. You know, I don't see how many of those people are, like, really going to commit to the time and effort it takes, snail mail, their thoughts to the rest of the world. 
Well, the thing you're the thing you're missing there is that it it was fifty thousand times written by twelve people. So, <laughs> mom, I can't come to dinner. I gotta write another angry letter. Have you sent those letters out yet? Got more corn pops. The fallout from this news and the fan reaction even tanked the film studio's share prices. Hmm. Fans would be at conventions and be ripping up publicity material. In 1989, the Florida Sun Sentinel quoted DC Comics writer Ralph Cabrera, who said, It's like Rodney Dangerfield in a bat suit. You're going to laugh at it. Even one of the film producers, Michael Uslan, or Uslan, he had confronted Burton directly about this, saying, Yeah, he's a comedian. I mean, what's this poster going to say? That Mr. Mom is Batman? I said that he's my height. He doesn't have the muscles. For God's sake, he doesn't even have the square jaw of Batman. It's fair. Even Adam West publicly <laughs> declared he was a better choice than Michael Keaton. Ironically, Adam West thought someone else was worse than he was to play Batman. <laughs> but, I mean, this really goes to show that everybody was wrong. Everybody couldn't see what Tim Burton could see mm -hmm. and didn't realize his vision and how great it would be. But... It was a real Bruce Willis scenario, Die Hard. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many, like, of these amazing castings that people literally laughed at. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, studios kind of fall ass backwards into. But you also think of, like, all the times that they push people into these roles. Like, who's the guy in Avatar? So, I have a funny theory about that guy. Is his name Worthington or... Sam Worthington, right? Sam Worthington? Yeah, who's going to be, like, the next star. And so they're just shoving him in, in Avatar, putting him in the... Terminator. Terminator, that God's movie. Clash of the Titans. Clashes of the Titans. And then he did Man on Ledge, which they stopped trying with marketing on that one. <laughs> just is what you get here. The thing about Sam Worthington I, I found really amusing is that... And I'm not looking at the dates in front of me to, to make it official, but, like, it seemed that they shoved him... It seemed like half a dozen films in like a year and a half. And then he did all of these movies before the first one that he was in even ever came out. Then like Avatar comes out or whichever the first one was that he was in, it comes out. And it's like, oh, that guy. Great. That was Hollywood inventing hype for a thing that people didn't want. 100%. They see, they see the square jaw or the semi-muscly frame. And they're like, mm -hmm. we can make money off of this guy. But he just didn't have the charisma. He didn't have the chops. It just didn't work. Didn't have that Brian Bosworth juice, you know? <laughs> Are you saying he wasn't stone cold? He was not stone cold enough. <laughs> so we wanted to talk about some of the casting and comic books that really worked. That, you know, kind of our best of. Hell yeah. Some that didn't work. Some that kind of changed the game. And maybe look inside our little fantasy bag and see what we find for what may come in the future. I think they call those bags of holding. You don't tell me about my spell bags, <laughs> all right? Uh, the, the ironic part is you're the one that plays D&D &D currently. <laughs> this is my bag of William holding, all right? <laughs> well, okay. Mm. Do you have a, a list of like your top comic book casting? Who, who nailed it the most oh, of all uh, time? Yeah, I mean, there are a few that I think you and I have discussed over the years that I think when they happened, we thought were great and I think do still stand up to the test of time. Especially if you go back to the beginning of this whole, you know, comic book movie glut. Um, Patrick Stewart obviously stands out as Professor Xavier. Yes. Uh, I think he really defines the role. And it's funny because, like, we wouldn't have thought of him for multiple reasons before that movie casting was announced because it seems – a, it's just because he's a bald man, <laughs> and B, 
because he's not British, <laughs> which is a kind of a thing that you would think uh, would be an issue. But it really was just because Brian Singer is a huge Star Trek fan. Yes. Yeah, he was a big fan of Star Trek, though the studio lobbied for other more bankable actors. Singer felt that Stewart was the guy to do it. And actually, in 1988, a couple of years before X-Men, a licensed novel called Planet X brought together the characters of Star Trek Next Generation and the X-Men. That book noted the physical similarities of Professor Charles Xavier and the Starship Captain Jean-Luc Picard. I'm glad you brought that up. I owned that book. And it's actually not a bad book. In fact, strangely, both X-Men Star Trek crossover comic books are pretty good, like in a way that they shouldn't be, <laughs> culminating by the dumbest joke, but also kind of the greatest fanboy moment in those, in the TOS X-Men crossover, Beast is in sickbay with Bones, and somebody comes in and calls for Dr. McCoy, and they both turn around and say, yes. It's a cheap one, but it still, it still made me guffaw a little bit. Yeah, I can buy that one. That's not bad. <laughs> that book is actually pretty good. They do a really good job of taking it really seriously. I think Patrick Stewart is one of those ones. Him as Professor X, you can see him from page to screen. It's an easy mm -hmm. transition right there. I think another one that's very similar that is just – and truly, of all of these, maybe Patrick Stewart and this one have like stood the test of time, and that's J.K. Simmons mm -hmm. as J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, going from multiple franchises, multiple Spider-Man franchises, and just being <laughs> the, the one that's always around, because you can't beat it. I mean, there were other people up for that particular role, like Arlie Ermey was considered, Hugh Laurie, Dennis Farina, mm. Bill Paxton. <laughs> oh, no, that would not have been good. Stan Lee had always said that he wanted to play J. Jonah Jameson and even audition for the role. But, of course, it was determined that he wasn't right for the role. Oh, you think? Yeah. He wasn't right for a lot of things. Just like with uh, Richard Donner's Superman, which, it, you know, sometimes out of context, people who haven't seen it or younger people don't really understand, but that is an amazing achievement as a film because it's not only a really seriously and well-done film despite all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, it's the perfect Silver Age Superman. The best executed era-specific version of a superhero ever. Until you get to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, those movies are 70s Spider-Man movies. Very specific. They're not Bronze Age, they're not Modern Age. I mean, Doc Ock literally robs a bank and has bags full of coins that he throws at people. It's a <laughs> 70s era Spider-Man. And J. Jones, it, like, J.K. Simmons nails it as 70s era, over-the-top, cartoony cigar chomping newspaper editor and then when you get to first with far from home and then in no way home you've adapted his character to prove that that archetype still fits in the zeitgeist now he's an alex jones but it still works and he still kills it in that yeah 100 he's great yeah a guy who who looks the part and that is also further heightened his persona and his roles mm -hmm. after that you know something like whiplash I think if he's if you don't have J. Jonah Jameson to kind of inject that version of J.K. Simmons, I'm not sure if that role is given to him or if it works as well. Mm. Do you remember that series where he plays his own alternate universe version of himself? Yes. Boy, you could really tie that into those Spider-Man movies. <laughs> yeah. God, what was that called? I never finished that show. I never even started it. I didn't even know what it was on. I just remember seeing previews for it. It wasn't bad. It was like a Showtime show or something. 
Uh, yes. I think it was like from BBC. Oh. Brought over to one of the studios. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to look it up. You guys can look it up yourselves. Yeah, that's fine. Do it. We're going to go off on a tangent if we do that. We don't need to do that. We don't need a tangent universe. That's a comic book joke, ladies and gentlemen. Probably the next generation of that would have been the 2000 superhero. I think it was probably perfectly defined and defined that character amazingly well with Hugh Jackman's casting as as Wolverine. Now you want to talk about controversial. And you were talking about fanboy anger. Yeah. Let's tackle Hugh Jackman here because do. none of us could now possibly imagine anyone else ever playing Wolverine. To the point where they're trying to bring him back again after he's already dead. Again. And Hugh Jackman is nearing 60. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they literally did an old man Logan movie already. Yeah, <laughs> which was actually one of the best X-Men movies. Also featuring Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> kind of like with Michael Keaton and a couple of other big castings. That one's unique because, first of all, the, the character of Wolverine, for people who don't know, haven't read the comics, he's supposed to be a very unattractive, tiny troll man. He's 5'3". He's hairy as hell. He's got weird hair and... Gruff, uh, drinking, smoking. Bitter, angry, profane. And then you get this beautiful Adonis of a man in Hugh Jackman, <laughs> who's 6'4", and is cut as all hell. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> no, I like where you're going with this. To, you know, my biggest fantasy is to grease him down before every performance. <laughs> He's like the exact opposite of what Wolverine is supposed to be. And yet, you can't imagine anyone else being Wolverine now. Especially coming from musical theater, which is what he was doing. True, yeah. A, who is this? They look up who he is. And he's like, oh, he's been doing off-Broadway musicals. This guy's going to be Wolverine? He still does musical theater. He still does. I, he he literally hosted Sony's multiple times. Yeah. And by the way, is married to an older woman and loves the hell out of his wife. You got to love that guy. He, there's nothing about Hugh Jackman you don't love. And you know what I always thought was kind of like ironic about this? And I, I know and, and this is probably a very age specific thing too. But so when you and I were kids, one of the only times we ever saw X-Men on screen in general was in that made for TV or maybe it was direct video animated feature, the, the Pride of the X-Men. Pride? Pride of the X-Men? The Kitty Pride before the Fox X-Men animated series. Oh, okay. And so in it, Wolverine is voiced over by an Australian actor with an Australian accent. And so when I was a kid, I always just assumed, I knew he was Canadian, but I always just imagined him, even just reading the comics, I just imagined him having an Australian accent. I don't really know why, it just made sense to me. And so when they casted an Australian actor to play Wolverine, kind of fried my brain a little bit. Huh. An Australian actor playing a Canadian mutant, uh, not <laughs> using his accent. Interesting. I'd never put that together, but uh, that's that's fascinating. Also, as a side tangent, just from this very specific example, I remember reading, and, and I could be uh, misremembering a little bit, when they did X-Men First Class, and they had James McAvoy as Xavier, who's mm -hmm. Scottish, and they had casted Rose Byrne to play Moira McTaggart, a Scottish woman, <laughs> and he was super upset that they wouldn't let Rose Byrne use her Scottish accent to play a f***ing Scottish character. <laughs> Come on, man. It's always one of those weird things of like, when they cast Gwen Stacy, they picked a red-haired woman Redheads? to dye her, blonde, her hair blonde. And when they cast Mary Jane, they cast a blonde woman made her dye her hair red. Yes, I still rant about that. Like, Bryce Dallas Howard plays Gwen Stacy, but Kirsten Dunst plays Mary Jane Watson? Are you f***ing kidding me? That doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yeah, especially since 
you could definitely reverse those and I would not complain one one bit. A couple of weird things about Wolverine, though, before we go. Their first choice, do you know who the first choice to play Wolverine was? I do believe their first choice was Joaquin Phoenix, correct? No. The first choice. I know we're going to get into Doug Gray Scott, but Russell Crowe was actually the very first one, who is fr- from New Zealand, a weird Aussie New Zealand, you know, Aussie yeah. Kiwi thing going Crossover on. thing. We can get into those other guys. I also want to mention one quick thing before we talk about Doug Ray and whatnot. When Hugh Jackman got the character Wolverine, he didn't read the comic books. He was like, oh, I got to think about wolves and being like a wolf. And Brian Singer's like, no, it's from the weasel family. It's it's a big it's weasel like a in badger. America. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. You can't blame him. I mean, Australia's got some other weird to, you know, we have. Oh, no, man. If Australia had Wolverines, they'd be like flying, would have like spit venom out of their eyes. <laughs> Bat wings. They would have like Omega Red's death factor just emanating from their bodies. (laughs) They'd make spider webs. and (laughs) Yeah, I know. That melt your face. Wolverines are relatively uncommon in, you know, like most of North America. I mean, not... They're more in the snowier regions of North America. How about you take off, Hoser? (laughs) Why doesn't he stuff that? Why does Wolverine talk like that? Is it because they wiped his memory? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he used to just be like a one of the strange brew guys, but then Weapon X program. <laughs> yeah. like, no, that's you can't you can't be going into battle. And say, hey, I'm gonna stab you, right? Danny Thomas didn't survive the adamantium. Uh, oh graft. man, now I'm just thinking of the guys from Letterkenny going to the Weapon X program. I still, I don't, I still don't understand your resistance to Trailer Park Boys. It's still baffling to yeah, me. Trailer Park Boys is fine. Oh, you said you hated it. <laughs> I did not say I hated it. I never said I hated it. Letterkenny is superior <laughs> in every way, shape, and form. That is a complete opposite of the truth. I'm sorry. <laughs> nope. The facts have been spoken. They cannot be undone. These are two camps that never the two show me. And I want to know what Canadian uh, fans think about this. Yeah, if you are hearing this in Canada, um, even if you're just passing through Canada, it counts. Uh, please let us know. Is it Letterkenny? Is it Trailer Park Boys? What say ye? If if you're listening in Canada, first of all, good day. <laughs> good day. Uh, and- <laughs> <laughs> please go in the snow and throw another shimp on the barbie. <laughs> But yeah, so then I, so I had read that in the mix was jo- Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know if that was more speculation than anything else. I had heard Russell Crowe. I just forgot about that. If you wanted a fat, tubby, drunken Wolverine, which I mean, that kind of kind of tracks. Yeah. But you could also say that if they had casted Meatloaf. So I don't, you know, whatever. So Doug Ray. And then there was Doug Ray Scott, who most of you probably don't remember because he wasn't Wolverine. Yeah, imagine if Sam Worthington was like up for Avatar, but then he had to drop out because he was yeah. hurt. Doug Ray Scott is a Scottish actor who was, yeah, originally cast to be Wolverine. He should have been Doug Ray Canadian, huh? Yeah, all right. That's Doug, Doug Ray Canuck. <laughs> Doug Ray A. So uh, he was. Right before the filming of X-Men, I mean, right before the filming of the first X-Men movie, he was injured on the set of John Woo's Mission Impossible 2, which is travesty for a lot of reasons, mostly because that movie sucks. Even though it's better than a lot of those movies, mostly just by virtue of being done by John Woo, he gets hurt on the set of that. And it's funny, if you watch that movie, you get go. if you ever get a wild hair, go back and rewatch it, because there is that weird stereotype about 
Scottish people's accents being indecipherable. I don't know what the hell half of Doug Ray Scott's dialogue was. I had to turn on the subtitles, <laughs> and I don't normally have that problem. I watch a lot of – you and I both watch, like, British and Scottish and Irish yeah. stuff. I don't know what the f*** he was saying half the time. It, it was just like – it was like he was gargling gravy. <laughs> so he gets hurt on the set of that, and so he can't do X-Men because it's due to start filming literally weeks later. Yeah, because he was cast. He had He had won the role. He landed yeah. the role. Oh, yeah. how things might have changed. Did Hugh Jackman even... So they needed someone quick, and actually Russell yeah. Crowe, who they had wanted, mm. he's the guy who suggested his friend, Hugh Jackman, to Brian That's Singer. Right. And so then he auditioned him, right. cast him right quick. Literally, Literally like two weeks before they started Now, filming. it's very similar to uh, Viggo Mortensen on Lord of the Rings. The actor who's cast up by Aragorn just didn't work out. And so like they brought him in a week or two before they started filming that. And then he was there for, you oh. know, 18 months. Kind of a Back to the Future scenario, except they actually had already been filming for like eight weeks before yeah. they recasted it with Michael J. Fox. Kind of like the Daenerys in the original pilot for Game of Thrones that they completely scrapped and then set on fire because it was terrible. Stuart Townsend. That's who it was. Oh, oh, it was Stuart Townsend? No, Stuart Townsend actually went on to do stuff. Like what? Okay, well, uh-huh. ironically, miscast roles. <laughs> For instance, Stuart Townsend later plays the vampire Lestat in Queen of the Damned. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't say that's uh, that's not bringing home the bacon there, Bob. And also, in the biggest travesty for geeks like us, he plays, he's in the uh, he's in the remake of Kolchak the Night Stalker. Oh. The gritty reboot. He plays Kolchak. Right, again, nothing there. Nobody watched it. What are you doing? It. <laughs> no, it was like six episodes. Like nobody, and it was bad. Which is funny because the original Kolchak was like I don't know what, like twelve episodes. Yeah, it was not much. That was the most lifeless uh, sleepwalk of a reboot of a great franchise that I have ever seen. Like, let's take all the things that are great about Kolchak: the quirkiness, the sort of goofiness, the sort of lightheartedness, contrasted with the backdrop of these dark topics, and just make it. Shittier. There we go. <laughs> Well, if it had been on CBS, it would have lasted 15 seasons, so it doesn't Yeah, the only role that I really remember him in was as Dorian Gray in the League League Victorian Gentleman movie. Oh, well, nailing it there, too. Jesus Christ. But at least that, I mean, it plays that one okay, but he's just kind of like... For what it is. It's not even in the comic. No, it's the, like, but it's the only good thing they added. Another full circle moment. Sean Connery only did that movie because he's like, well, I didn't get... Because he was supposed to play Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. He was supposed to be Morpheus in The Matrix. Turned down both of those roles because he, quote, didn't get it. And then when they offered him this, he goes, well, I I can't turn down another one. And they're like, well, how did that work out, idiot? Even though, actually, that's a good casting for Alan Quartermate, to be honest. It's just a bad movie. They screwed that whole thing up, top to bottom, really. So I I don't want to go through a a few... (laughs) God, it, it seems stupid to even and, continue and, and, with this. Um, b- by the way, by the way, Blade, uh, uh, the uh, the casting of of uh, Wesley Snipes, pretty good. I think actually. so. He makes the list of uh, my top five uh, castings that redefine characters. So you had a character in okay. comic books or in pop culture, and then once they were cast, that particular actor, their essence completely revolutionized how that character was seen. From that point on, um, from, sure. I think Wesley Snipes Hugh is Jackman one of those. Being one. Um, I think Robert Downey Jr., uh, his version of Tony Stark, I think that changed how Tony Stark was written after that. 
That is an interesting debate to have because with um, Robert Downey Jr., the reason he was perfect for that role because that is Tony Stark. Like he had his own. He went through the same sort of like mm-hmm. battling you know, his like demons, he was drunk. as you might say. Bat- the yes, exactly. He bat- he battled that demon in a bottle. When Robert Downey Jr. was found in that little girl's bed that of that house he climbed into when he was on that bender. It pretty much ended his career until Iron Man, and he was the perfect choice for Tony Stark. However, in those movies, they never tackle his actual addiction problem. Yes. Well, I mean, that gets into the puritanical nature of the Marvel and Disney properties, and you can't you can't really yeah, get yeah. into too much adult stuff. That's why it has to be such a big, big thing when, oh, my God, the, the, the married uh, androids lie on top of each other sexless. And dry yeah. hump, but only after exactly, they're married. Yeah, um, but I think I think Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark on the page, he was written a certain way, and then after Iron Man came out, and was a huge success. He changed. I think the way that he was written and portrayed in every other version of of Iron Man, um, in video games, in cartoons, it became the Tony, the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. Yeah, but isn't the only real difference that he was just snarkier? Yeah, but that became a huge part of his character. Okay, that's fine. I mean, I'm not arguing that you're wrong. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if it was, like, it really changed the essence of the character. They just kind of trade the trade, they changed the kind of the way that he interacted with other well, characters. Well, uh, I think a, a similar way would be uh, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Mm, um, I think once she got that, the way that Harley Quinn has been portrayed after that is... I think very different from pre Margot Robbie Harley Quinn. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like, there wasn't a, like a long history of, of Harley in the comics, I mean, she was created in the '90s by Paul Dini. So, I mean, it's true. But I also think that the the character change, both in in look, in spirit, in dialogue, uh, it's very, very different. Um, I think that feels like more of a natural evolution to me, though, because like when you're introduced to Harley, you're introduced to her in Batman the Animated Series, where she is this like weird subservient like sidekick to the Joker. And then, you know, it wasn't until a little bit later that they start getting into her origin and why she is who she is. And then it isn't until the Margot Robbie stuff, well, quite frankly, the later Margot Robbie uh, stuff, because that Suicide Squad was the original Suicide Squad was nothing. Um, I feel like they really just kind of expanded on what they were kind of already getting to in her character. Now, no, I, I agree. It probably guided that, but I don't think it altered it. I think it more just like helped further define her character. I think there was a evolution of that character, but this, I think, was a, a leap in that particular evolution. I think there's a definitive jump from one version of that character to this version of that character. I think one that's maybe even more prolific is Chris Pratt's Star-Lord. Oh, big yeah, time. That, yes. that character was... Yeah. He's not a character. Nothing he's like, nothing. No, he's, he's a nothing character. He's just character. a guy. How that movie worked, I will never know. Because that comic was... it's like a, That should have been like Eternals, but it actually was just kind of magical because of James Gunn. It really had nothing to do with that. That in fact, I think the the reason that worked is because they were nothing characters, and James Gunn was able to just go, you know what? Let's just I'm just going to do yeah. whatever. 
And and I'm going to make good characters that work in this universe, and it has nothing to do with what they are in the comics, like, at all. 100%. I mean, same with even Rocket and Groot. That's not at all what they're like in the comics, but you know what? It works. Yeah. I, Rocket was a little bit more like that. I mean, in comparison to, like, Star-Lord or Gamora or Nebula. Gamora um, especially. You know, those those were, like, or Drax. Um you know, oh, that's way different. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was a little closer to this version of Drax than he was like the original Drax, who like wore a skull cap and a cape and had that skull like medallion putting his yeah. cape on. And this, this version of Drax is much different. But the version of Drax that they kind of drew from, kind of the Abnett Landing stuff, was definitely more like this, like the cinematic Drax. Yeah, the MC the MCU um Guardians draws more from the the Annihilation mm-hmm. crossover arc. It, even just aesthetically draws much more from that. And yeah, I mean that's true. Kate is still to this day upset that in Endgame it wasn't Nebula who got the gauntlet to snap everything because that's what happens yeah, in the comic, yeah you know and it would actually make sense in the even in the context of the mcu storyline that would still make sense like she would sacrifice herself as her ultimate like you know uh arc her turning against her mm-hmm. father that would have made sense but whatever that's that's neither here yeah. nor there yeah the only other one i would i would throw in there is maybe tom hiddleston i think his version of loki there's a big change from that version of Loki that is profligated in comics after him to the Loki before mm-hmm. that, who is yeah, not nearly as fun. Well, that's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad. I love Tom Hiddleston. It's, it's just Loki different. And I love what the, that's all. It is different. Loki in the comics up until basically like, I'd say the ultimates, nobody really knows what to do with, mm-hmm. you know, like it, which one, once again, the cinematic version draws mostly from the ultimates and things yeah. like that. In fact, Avengers specifically steals from the Ultimates. Oh, yes. Uh, in like a thousand yes, ways. Yes. The Ultimates is a huge influence. Including the Chitari. Yeah. Uh, Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. As Nick Fury. Literally, Literally. That's the only time. Yes. So this is one that goes against the grain of what we're talking about is in the Ultimate Universe, and if you listen to our multiverse episode, we talk about... The Ultimate Universe, which was created to streamline the Marvel Universe for people who had only seen the the movies that had just come out. Which is why in the Ultimate Universe, Wolverine is now 6'4", as Hugh Jackman is. Because that comes out in like 2002, mm. which is right after the, you know, X-Men. And with Ultimates, which was their version of the Avengers, you see in that one, Mark Miller and... Um, Brian Hitch. Brian Hitch, thank you. Uh, they they were like, you know what? It'd be really cool if he was Sam Jackson. And so they draw him as Sam Jackson. And then that's the only reason they cast Sam Jackson was because they he appeared that way in one alternate version of Nick Fury. And it worked so well. It's, it's, it's an opposite of what we're talking about, where like the character in the comics has changed based on a really cool casting. This one is like, they got a really cool casting because someone figured out how to change that character into something really yeah. cool. So instead of David Hasselhoff, you get, <laughs> you, get, you know, Sam Jackson. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's run with it. Let's just go. It's one of the most fanboy moments of all time. It's like uh, if Simon Pegg had actually been in The Boys. Yes, yeah. You know? or, or Eminem was in Wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no! that, but that movie is doomed for uh, so many yeah. reasons. 
Oh, yeah. Especially since the cat is supposed to be, is literally modeled after Halle mm-hmm. Berry, and then they make her Angelina yeah. Jolie. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, the magic loom. <laughs> Boy, does that have nothing to do with that comic book <laughs> at all. Uh, Even more so than Eternals. Similar misguided. Uh, I wanted to throw out a, <laughs> a, a misguided castings. Castings that got them completely wrong and focused on the, the abs- absolutely wrong parts of these characters when choosing who to play. The top mm-hmm. of my list would be Michael Chiklis as the thing in Fantastic Four. Oof. Um, Oof. You could see kind of what they thought they were going You can see what they thought they were going, but the whole idea of the thing is he's a good-looking guy who gets turned into a rock monster. So how about right. not not turn a rock monster into another rock monster? Because there's no change there. You know what, though? I will take Michael Chiklis over that Josh Trank version. Like, any day. Uh, I, th- I think if, if we could pick and choose, uh, like the salad bar... Of which which parts of Fantastic Four that we'd like to keep <laughs> the egg the egg yes. salad bar. Uh, I mean, or if we could just go to a different restaurant, that'd be fine with me. I'd, I could I could do away with all of it. It's like leaving Ponderosa to go to Golden Corral. <laughs> I don't know, you know. It's oh wow. Well. I don't know. It's not really much of an yeah. upgrade, but it, it, at least it's not as bad. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. That one was that one was horribly mis. In fact, that entire movie is completely miscast. Yeah, another one on, I, on my list actually comes from that movie, Jessica Alba, as Sue Storm, because they're both women. Wow. Is that why? And you made one blonde? That's it? And has blue eyes in only one of those movies? <sighs> there's literally nothing there. No, there's nothing there. And Ian Griffith, I like Ian Griffith as an actor. Um, and you know what? Maybe in a better situation, he would find Reed Richards, I guess. I mean, whatever. It's fine. Whatever. But, like, there is nothing to work with in that, like, at all. No. Not nothing. I mean, Johnny, Johnny, uh, uh, Chris Evans is Johnny Storm. All right. That's fine. Okay, That's fine. fine. It's whatever. No. It's not a good, it's not well written, uh, but it's not terribly miscast. No, no. And he he does perfectly well with what he's given. And you know what? Michael B. Jordan is fine. I have no problem no. with Michael B. Jordan in that role. Just explain to me what the, the dynamic of that family is in that movie. I, I I need to know more about that. I'm very confused. Well, let's yeah, getting any anything. No, we'll have to we'll have to rant about that, Josh Trank, one a different yeah, that, time. It can probably be its own does, thing. There's so much wrong with that. Yeah, like, we'll go on for three hours about how bad that movie is. Uh, another one would be uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. Oof. I mean, you're completely uh, missing the point and just throwing a name at the screen. Yeah, it's Jim Carrey's The Riddler. Yeah, but at least... <sighs> uh, There's no defending I, that one. I'm sorry. I don't think Jim Carrey's Riddler is as bad as Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. Well, but I mean, that, that just that's just equally proportionate to the quality of those two movies. <laughs> Perhaps... Perhaps. At least I can buy Jim Carrey's Riddler more than I can. I don't know. They both are awful. I mean, Uma Thurman was also terrible in that movie, but which is not her fault. No, that's that's how it was. It was written. I mean, she does what she's supposed to do, but they don't know what the what the hell they're doing. Let's not forget about Bane being in that movie. Uh, Oh my god! uh, He's a plant monster. 
So, because you, you were talking about miscastings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I had mentioned Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan. Okay, okay, That was I was about to come to that. I don't hate that. And why is that? Um, I mean, at what point did anybody ever sit down as kids and go, man, I can't wait to see Green Lantern on the big screen. He's going to be one of my favorite actors <laughs> that's going to play this role that nobody gives a shit about. I mean, no, no, people like Green Lantern. And Green Lantern's a great character. Is there anybody that you go, man, there's Hal Jordan. There he is. Finally, Hal Jordan. No. I mean, maybe Dennis Quaid in his high, uh, heyday. I don't know. Ooh, yeah, but, that's a pretty good one. Is Hal Jordan. Actually, that's the only one that I could ever think yeah, of. Yeah, that, that's a really good one. Wow. That I one like just that. came off the dome, too. I don't know. Actually, no, now I can't yeah. really see that. <laughs> yeah. Like, even today, Dennis Quaid could do it. I think the, the issue with that is that they cast essentially a comedian and made it a comedy? Go one way or the other, but don't just try and half-ass it's, it. It's very much like a, hey, Ryan Reynolds, we're going to cast you in this movie. Could you punch up the script as we're going along? This may be a hot take. I don't think any of the Batman's cast have been necessarily awful. I think they're all have their strengths uh, and weaknesses. Val Kilmer's stretching it a little bit. I like... The thing I like about Val Kilmer's Batman is that I like his detached Bruce Wayne. His aloofness. I like that he's like kind of sleepwalking through bringing a human being. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And and we're still talking about a movie that's done, you know, by... uh, Joel Schumacher. So it's like, obviously, you're not going to bring much to the table in general. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You know what I always said was that, like, um, I really liked like, Keaton wasn't really Batman or Superman. I mean, I'm sorry, Batman <laughs> right, or Bruce yeah. Wayne. But he, he made he made them both work mm-hmm. somehow, but not in a way that you would ever think like, oh, that's Batman or oh, that's Bruce Wayne. Batman more so than Bruce Wayne, but. Except I liked the, I liked the funny, quirky Bruce Wayne. That was fun, too. But it really wasn't what we think of. Especially if you think about the fact that Alec Baldwin was originally supposed to be that. Who, at that point, that age, Alec Baldwin, you're going to tell me there's a better Bruce Wayne Batman than Alec and Baldwin era Hunt for Red October? Mm-mm, sorry. that's that's That would have been the perfect casting of all time. <laughs> Val Kilmer just was what he was. And then George Clooney... I think is like the perfect Bruce yep. Wayne, especially that era, mm-hmm. George Clooney. That's Bruce Wayne. He's kind of like this like facade of a person. He kind of smarmy. Mm-hmm. He's very like confident but charismatic. Uh, you can tell he's not a real human being. He's just kind of like this like plastic thing that, that he's a mask that Batman puts on, but also a terrible Batman. Yes. He's a great, great Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Wayne. Awful Batman. It, it's kind of what I – it's like the, the Spider-Man issue where Tobey Maguire is a good – 70s Peter Parker, but a, a bad Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield is a yeah, is a, a good 90s Spider-Man, but a, an awful yep. Peter Parker. And then Tom Holland's kind of a bit of both, but never really better than either of them, but is the the right mix of the two, I guess? Right, which is Christian Bale. Yes. She's kind of the right mix, not, not what you'd expect from either, but a really good mix yes. of the two. Yeah, he's a good middle it's ground. The, it's not. It's not the the tastiest porridge, but it's the porridge that that will serve the meal the best. Yeah, so everyone in our audience can relate to porridge. <laughs> well, it was kind of like the Goldilocks thing, you know. It's like 
Yeah, oh, I see what you're trying to you know, the, okay. This one's too hot. This one's too cold. This one has a hand in it. You know, this one. <laughs> this one's got a. This one's got Hitler's head in it. I would never have cast Christian Bale in either of those roles, but the way that the movie was written and the way that they he balances out both Bruce and Batman, fantastic, great casting for that film. Maybe not on paper in other productions, but absolutely great. Which brings us to an an interesting what if that hmm. you had mentioned earlier a little yes. bit. There was at one point where uh, Batman was going to be directed by... Working under a different script, Ivan Reitman, Joe Dante, and Wes Craven were oh, all... It was Reitman. Yeah. All of those were uh, approached and or thought of as helming the, the project. The Reitman project got the most traction because he had just come off of Ghostbusters. And... There was a script, and they had gotten to the point where they had pitched casting, mm-hmm. including Bill Murray yes. as Batman, which was interesting because he was using basically the same logic that Burton used for uh, Michael Keaton. And I, as silly and ridiculous and bad <laughs> nuts as that sounds, I would have liked to have seen what he did with it. You know, because like, we don't get serious Bill Murray until, what, Jim Jaramouche gets a hold of him or Sofia Coppola? S- Sofia Coppola, probably. Yeah. Yeah. The Murray renaissance didn't happen until way later in his career. And I kind of would like to have seen what he did with a serious version of Batman. You know what I mean? Like an actual, like, tortured, Keaton-esque approach to that character. I don't think it would have worked, but it would be really interesting to see what would have happened. Especially considering in that production, the casting of the Joker was offered to David mm, Bowie. Mm-hmm. You tell me that's not one of the coolest f- castings of all time. <laughs> I mean, that that could have carried the whole film, to be Talking honest. about that same version, you have at least from the scriptwriter Mankiewicz, he he had wanted an unknown oh, yeah. actor for Batman. He had wanted William Holden for James Gordon, David Niven for Alfred Pennyworth, and Peter O'Toole as the Penguin. Whoa, that's a lot of And Reitman wanted Eddie Murphy as Robin. Which is hilarious because Burton then goes ahead and casts Marlon mm-hmm. Wayans as Robin in a movie that never ended up being made. Who still gets paid royalties. Yeah, it's great, by the Good way. Good for him. It's like Steve Young's contract with the USFL, like... I don't know, some of those cats, that's interesting. Some of those would be good. I don't know about Peter O'Toole in that, but some of those other ones, yeah, I, I kind of like that. I don't know, I, that would have been fascinating to see what happens there. I mean, if you get the right script, you get the right tone, yeah, yeah. all right. I'm it's down. hard to see Mankiewicz, he took inspiration from Steve Englehart's Batman Strange Apparitions. You know, it's kind of dealing with Dick Grayson's origin with the Joker and Rupert Thorne. As villains with Silver St. Cloud oh. as the romantic interest. Oh, wow. That's a I don't know if, it's, if it would have been more in the vein of a Tim Burton. Bruce Vein. <laughs> <laughs> or if it would have been unable to escape the uh, Adam Westness of things. No matter what, any Batman project was, was dealing with that baggage, mm-hmm. you know. There was a reason that people didn't, especially actual comic book fans and people in the industry, refused to even admit that Batman 66 happened until recently, until we finally were kind of like, okay, we can go back and laugh but at it Looking now. at other, like, possible 
you know, through the different iterations of the Batman film of other possible Jokers, mm-hmm. man, this is just a a murderer's row. Uh, Tim Curry, <laughs> love, oh, I love it. I love oh, it crazy. already. Uh, John Lithgow, kinda Brad like Dourif, also kind of Ray love Liotta. It. Don't like. Uh, it. Can I uh, maybe in a certain version? I don't know. I see him being more like a Carmine Falcone yeah. type. Well, character, I mean, it's yeah, it's tough to get out of the the Goodfellas kind of mindset for that. Yeah, James Woods. No, because then we'd have to deal with that baggage now, and yeah. I, I don't want to deal with Burton that. Burton originally wanted wanted to cast John Glover, but the studio insisted on using movie star, and Robin Williams pushed really hard for the role. He also had been cast as the Riddler at one point. If Tim Burton was going to do a Batman three, if I remember correctly. In fact, no, actually, even in the, I think they offered him Riddler even in Batman Forever, but he turned it down, if I remember right. Well, would that have been coming off of Aladdin, and he kind of wanted to get out of doing that thing? I don't know, maybe. I mean, either way, he got screwed in in Aladdin. That's a a whole nother. That's a different, yeah. Henry Cavill's an inspired choice. I, I really hate almost every film that he's in as Superman, but... As Superman, aesthetically, especially, and as an actor, I think he's a good mm-hmm. actor, too. Uh, it's kind of perfect. And he's a Chiefs fan. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he literally became a Chiefs fan because when he was cast as Superman, he got, he went like, oh, what American teams would Superman root for? And so that's why in Man of Steel, he's wearing a Royals t-shirt at one point, and he is legitimately a, a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So... I don't know. I think that's method I think acting. That's like, I kind of like it. Kind of, yeah. I just wish they had had better movies for him. He's kind of like Pierce Brosnan in his Bond. <laughs> Man, I wish they'd had better yeah. movies for him. You know, because yeah. and especially with Pierce Brosnan, poor guy, one of the biggest screw jobs of all time. He had been cast as Bond, and but he was doing a show called Remington Steel on NBC, and he was literally on his way to the press conference. He was in the in the back room, like waiting to be announced on stage. And NBC wanted to cash in on Pierce Brosnan fever, even though nobody liked or watched <laughs> Remington Steel. So they announced while he was like preparing for the press conference that Remington Steel had been renewed for season two and that his contract wouldn't let him out to do movies. We're never letting you go, Pierce. Yeah, and then I don't I don't know if that I don't even know if they finished that second season. <laughs> I think I don't even know if they even bothered. Cause that show is nothing. It's a nothing show. But yeah, poor guy. And then so he when he finally becomes Bond, it's like great. I have to follow Timothy Dalton. Well, this is fun. Even though I actually like Timothy Dalton, and I don't like I don't hate those two movies. They were very of their time. They were trying to get over the schlockiness of Roger Moore. And I, I yeah, respect that. it always felt like they were the pre Craig Craig films. Yeah, and it's funny because everyone hated them at the time, but if you go back and look at them, you're like, these are actually some of the better ones. Benicio Del Toro is a villain in one of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so Henry Cavill got screwed uh, being Superman, but man, he's a good one. So here, here are some of the worst ones that thankfully never happened. Okay. And I say this because there's a possibility that this might come up again. I've heard rumor that they actually now that they're just throwing everything at the wall, multiverse-wise, that this person might make a cameo in a future film. Tom Cruise as Iron Man. Uh, Really? Mm -hmm. I'm not... I mean, it it might just be fanboy rumor, but I have heard heard rumblings of this. That's never gonna happen. Yeah, for a long time, Cruise was attached to produce and star in 
Iron Man, you know, long before Marvel Studios was a thing, Cruz's stubbornness about the project kept the film we know and love from getting kicked off. He held the rights for a really long time, and Marvel had to, like, fight to get it back. Tom Cruise basically blocked that movie from happening for a long time. Essentially the same way that um, Edward Norton has cock-blocked Marvel into having the ability to make a Hulk solo film. You will never see a Hulk yeah. standalone film, which is fine with me because I don't need a Hulk. No, it, it, it's become the indelible Hulk at this point. <laughs> so he can go on to make a bunch of mediocre Mission Impossible films. Yeah, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> and then, of course, there was one of the nuttiest productions that almost happened. So close to going to principal photography is, of course, Nicolas Cage's oh, Superman. Oh, classic. It's good stuff. You probably know about this one due to some of the leaked images online from Tim Burton's failed Superman Lives project from the 90s. And the sad, crazy thing is that the film actually got pretty far. Uh, it had sets, it had costumes. Some of the elements of it, based on the documentary The Death of Superman Lives, were actually uh, kind of interesting. It wouldn't have been as bad as Man of Steel, right? I mean, would it have been worse than Man of Steel? Yeah, I think it would have. Yeah, probably. It's probably why it never happened. You know, Burton brought the outside-the-box casting idea. Nick Cage's tortured performance in stuff like Leaving Las Vegas, he, I'm sure he thought would have added some some depth and some unforeseen nuance to Superman. But I don't think Burton could have caught light in your bottle twice. No, that also feels like casting someone who is in love with the role and is pushing hard for themselves to be in it. Because Cage is such a Superman stan- <laughs> I mean, didn't he name his child Cal? Cal El Copa exactly. Cage. That is the person you don't cast in that role. They're just, they're too close to it. You don't cast Sean Young as Catwoman, because then she's going to break into your house <laughs> late at night. I'm okay with that, personally. 1980s Sean Young breaking into my house in a cat suit? Yes, please. Just off the top of my head, there was the tragic non-casting of Emily Blunt as black widow which is a real shame honestly because not only is she a better actress than scarlett johansson and a better black widow than scarlett johansson but she couldn't get out of her shooting schedule of the jack black version of gulliver's travels Didn't she choose to be in gulliver's travels instead i thought she'd already signed I the think contract she said that her, she had the choices between the two and she chose to be in gulliver's travels you know, saying something Oof. like, well, I don't I don't want to be in a superhero film. Now she's yeah, begging now, for it. Please, please cast me and my hubby in as as Reed and Sue. Okay. Um There was a thought of having Robin Williams play Rorschach. Oh wow. Okay. Was that David Hayter's? Uh, I know it's one of the early versions of Watchmen. Was it Paul Greengrass's it's, it's, Watchmen? Or oh or was it Terry Gilliam's Watchmen? Yeah. That would make more sense. How about Aaron Paul as Star-Lord? Interesting. I don't hate that. I like Aaron Paul, and I, I think he gets a little pigeonholed because of Jesse Eisenberg. But I get just now it's in my head, I'm not from space, I'm from Missouri, bitch. <laughs> that is interesting. Still not the comic character at no, all. but doing its own thing. Unfortunately, I think it's... The most perfect thing Chris Pratt has ever been in. It's the most Chris Pratt thing you can do without being Chris Pratt and ruining yeah. it. It's like Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool. He just became that character in all of his future characters. Well, yeah. I mean, because he was just 
perfect for it. I mean, and he knew it, and everyone in the unit, <laughs> dogs know it. He's perfect for Deadpool. He just is. How about Josh Hartnett as Loki? He almost was Batman as well. He turned down the role of Batman, which then went to Christian Bale. And he regretted that for the rest Good of his call life. call for all of us. How about Zoe Deschanel as, oh, as Harley Quinn? I'm glad we don't live <laughs> in this world. Because <laughs> she's a nothing person. She's got no real personality. She's got no charisma. She's got pretty eyes, essentially, is her entire yeah, shtick. I just don't see how that would translate to Harley Quinn. God, it would have been as bad as Eva Mendez was in The Spirit. Like a two-by-four. Which is not Eva Mendez's fault, either. It's because Frank Miller directed yeah. that movie. The only movie I've walked out of twice. Worst superhero film of all time. Possibly the greatest amalgamated talent that did not get the role are the names that were floated around Superman, the 1970s. Oh, yeah. I mean, There's it's a lot of all over the place. From Elton John to Muhammad Ali. What? That would have been ironic, considering they fought in the 70s. Robert Redford got to the point where he screen tested. Right, yeah. I mean, like, we all go, that's stupid, because Chris Reeve kills it, and he does, and he deserves that role. But, man, Robert Redford wouldn't have been bad. He's got that voice, he's got that swagger, he's got that sort of, like, smarmy charm to him. Is that Superman, though? I don't know. Uh, I mean, that feels more like a Bruce Wayne, honestly. Actually, you know, you know, you're... you're, you're (laughs) Something there. No, I wouldn't have hated that. No, he would actually made a pretty good Bruce Wayne. Like, if you swap out, like, Val Kilmer for young Robert Redford, I'd be like, that makes Other sense. names, Dustin Hoffman? Yes, I remember he got pretty far, but he's too short. I think it was essentially how that I broke down. I don't understand down. how Charles Bronson was up in the running. Uh, Chris Christopherson? That one is interesting. It wouldn't have worked in any way, but he is a presence. Kind of. I'm not saying they would have been a good Superman. I'm just saying, like, I could see where they th- they wanted to give it a shot and see what would have happened. It's you know? tough for me to see Chris Christopherson as Kal-El flying around. You chicken. <laughs> hey, Lex, you're about a hillbilly hair away from me kicking your ass. <laughs> I mean, it's like that and Convoy are the only two things that Chris Christopherson belongs in. <laughs> oh, man. Was he that second remake of yes, Star is Born? Okay, he he's good, good in that. that, actually. And of course, yeah, we, we've all heard a lot of those casting rumors and stuff, but I think there's some good runners up. Like, I really like James Marsters as Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Or, wait, or is it Marsden? Ah, <laughs> uh, the great the great geek problem. Is it Marsters or Marsden? Yeah, is it Bill Pullman or Paxton? The Marsden of Sonic the Hedgehog fame. Oh, that's what he's famous hey, for. It good. was the number one grossing film of 2020, I think. It was the number one grossest film of 2020. <laughs> Marston does a really good job of, of that 90s interpretation of Cyclops, where he's just kind of a douchebag. He's sort of some preppy frat guy that everyone hates, and everyone roots for Wolverine all of a sudden, and you know, with Gene and, instead of him. Because there is a renaissance for, for Cyclops later on. He starts banging Emma Frost, and then you're like, wow, you've got a type. Uh, you know, everyone's got a... He branched out. You know, let him live his life. Did he? He likes hot telepaths. Yeah, great. So do I. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. right. Yeah, you you don't go for the empath thing. You're not a Deanna Troy fan, but man, no, there's too many feels with uh, Deanna. I mean, I like someone who can, you know, take my mind into space, into another dimension, as I'm, you know, 
you're having a, like a Caprica six yeah. sex scene. I'm wearing my mind truly blown. <laughs> out of an airlock. <laughs> I'm uh, barely using it. Jesus, talk about bad casting. Um, January Jones yeah. is Emma Frost. Oh my. Uh, yes. She's also On given paper? nothing to do. It's a rough one for her, but that is an our version of Emma Frost. Well, you know, you watch Mad Men and you totally understand where they're coming from. She's a tall blonde bombshell and you're like, okay, yeah, let's see what happens. But then it turns out that um, she was just accidentally good at that role. Uh, she's There's nothing there. <laughs> she's just it's like Seinfeld. It's like, I am open. There's just nothing in there. <laughs> Maybe it's because her name is just so comic booky. Uh, well, I mean, that didn't hurt. <laughs> there's so many things about that era of X-Men movies that get everything so wrong like um specifically in x-men origins wolverine obviously you know they finally cast ryan reynolds as deadpool and somehow managed to screw it up in the most epically bad way possible and then you have uh that dude that plays the blob yeah i just uh, why 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 is that the direction you go in I don't know. It didn't make any sense. And they tried to give it an arc that he became the blob because he had like some sort of like insecure eating problem. And you're like, wow, just stop. Just stop. The casting of Gambit in that film, I didn't hate. He had just come off of Friday Night Lights. I don't think he's that bad an actor. It's just. You just like the kitsch of it all, don't you? It's kitschy. It is kitschy. I'll say that. I liked it better than the Channing Tatum Gambit movie that's never going to happen. I mean, neither really work for Channing my Tatum. version of Gambit in my head, but... I mean, well, no, none of them are Cajun. Channing Tatum, but... I mean, he has some charisma. What's his name? Taylor Kitsch? Taylor Kitsch, Kitsch yep. Of the failed John Carter of Mars franchise. <sighs> Swing and a miss. That was in development hell for 15,000 years. And, and this is the ultimate, man, what great casting... God damn it, we can't ever talk about this ever again. Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor is probably the most perfect villain casting of all. Of all time? Uh, well, uh, superhero villain uh, casting? Magneto? He's right up. Maybe oh, okay. both Magnetos? Yeah, I mean, they're both very good. Even though I, even though we have a serious uh, Obi-Wan problem there, where you go from <laughs> hunky uh Fassbender to decrepit Ian McKellen hey, in 20 being years. being a mutant like that, it, it really puts the miles on. It's not the years, sweetheart, it's the mileage. But I mean, Kevin Plus, Spacey- you're, you're skipping all the Jokers, too. Well, we talked about all the Jokers, yes, didn't we? Yes, I think we had a discussion. Well, we didn't have like a huge discussion about all the Jokers. But I'm just saying like as like best superhero villain, as much as you like Kevin Spacey is- um, Spacey's brings this darkness to it. And it turns out because he is a villain. So I guess that's the real reason that's a yeah, thing. Some method acting um, going on there. Cesar Romero, uh, his Joker, is kind of inspired. I hate to say, but most of the villains in Batman 66, other than like, I mean, Vincent Price's Egghead is whatever, because it's Vincent Price, which is great. And Egghead, who's a terrible and non-existent character. Uh, Frank Gorshin, uh, you know, in context, kills it as the Riddler. Uh, Burgess Meredith kills it as the Penguin. Much more so than Danny DeVito does. And I like Danny DeVito in that movie. But uh, but Burgess Meredith, in that context, is such the perfect, like, 60s penguin that it's really hard to I mean, beat. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's – I think both of them are kind of stupid in a way. They're both fun for different reasons. Sure, I mean, sure. it's tough for me to say he is a great – he's a great character of the penguin. You and I grew up in, like, the – 70s and 80s yeah like super friends cartoon and 
yeah, yeah, we grew up on, which were all just kind of like extensions of the Batman 66 era. And tell me that, that Burgess Meredith isn't the Penguin in that era. Like, in that oh, era. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. He's uh, great. It's, it's just, it's a tough character to buy into. I mean, it's something we're not necessarily saying for the other ones, you know, for like the, the Joker, the Riddler. Mm-hmm. Those translate a bit more than the Burgess Meredith Penguin. I, well, yeah, because like Cesar Romero, I think, absolutely kills it as the Joker. The only complaint that I ever had was that he refused to shave his mustache, and so he would just paint over it with the makeup. And that was bizarre. But uh, he I, just his his take on the Joker is actually, I mean, it kind of stands up today. I mean, you know, the, obviously it's in context and the material is different today, but like the way that he portrays it, his actual physicality, that's not too far off than the best versions of the Joker we've ever had. I think each Joker builds off of the next Joker. And what are you, Grant Morrison? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, yeah, that's fair. No, I think almost all of them could be said to be great on their own. Oh, Nicholson's Joker is great. That's not the Joker to me, but he's great in that yes. movie. In the same way that it's tough to say Burgess Meredith's version of the Penguin is the Penguin. It's tough to say Nicholson's Joker is the Joker. But with that Joker, then you get the Batman the Animated Series Joker, and then you get... Which is Yeah, you know, great. which then leads into, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker. And Heath Ledger's Joker is even weirder example. If it weren't for Heath Ledger being so good in that role, I think that would have been a complete failure of a, of a Joker, because they tried to do the gritty... You mean like Jared Leto's Joker? See, and that's another sad thing is because I think Jared Leto would make a great Joker, but what did he have to work with? <laughs> he's, the, he's the plastic surgeon who's working on Jack Nicholson's Joker. He's like, do you see the tools I have I to work like with? I feel like he had the unenviable task of having to follow up with Heath Ledger. 100%, so it had yes. to be kind of that off the rails, vile slice of humanity. That's the douchiest it Joker. Is. I mean, there's no... It's terrible, but I don't like. I don't hate the casting. I mean, if you've seen some of the other weird stuff that Jared Leto's done, his his other like method stuff, like Mister Nobody. As much as that's a kind of a garbage movie, he he's killer in that film. Like, it's really hard to deny his dedication to that role and to changing his personality. And yeah, uh, but there's also certain certain actors that you need to confine in their roles that they need to be sure. reeled in and set to a specific task and he is the type of actor who can really bring some major performances but in his joker Mm -hmm. or like his house of gucci where it's just like it's Mm. off the wall too much cartoon just doesn't work every now and then you need a nicholas meyer telling william shatner to to (laughs) calm the down yeah and, and, and you know margot robbie is fantastic as harley when she finally finds her footing uh, and gets a decent movie mm-hmm. behind her, at least a half-assed decent movie. Not even a good one, just something half-assed. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't think that movie is poor because of what she is bringing. As an actor, she's a lot like Henry Cavill. Might be the perfect Harley Quinn, just doesn't have anything to work with, mm-hmm. you know? Until the Suicide Squad, which I thought did a really good job of treating her character better. Yes, but. or the the Harley Quinn animated series, which is... Awesome. True. But is that no, Margot that's Robbie? that's Kaylee Cuoco. Oh, I don't, yeah, maybe it's because the show's so good that it works. And then I think some honorable mentions are probably uh, Zezzy Beats as Domino. Yes. Uh, yeah. Great cast. Again, it's a character that's like 
what character is there. So it's nice to inject a character into it. With mm-hmm. charisma and presence and uh, a great actress, I think, an under, under-sung, underrated actress. Chris Helmsworth's Thor, uh, surprisingly great. Uh, when they first cast him, I was like, no, no way. And I think he kind of kills it. Yeah, again, it's a character um, that is allowed to grow and let the actor dictate where that character goes. Because he's obviously someone who's much better at blending the physicality with the comedy. And when mm-hmm. you let that come together, something like Ragnarok is just genius. It's amazing. So genius. Um, it is. And, and it's funny because I remember when uh, Helmsworth played um, George Kirk in mm-hmm. Star Trek, in Abrams' Star Trek. I remember watching that film because that came out in 2009. I remember watching that and going, wow, I could see him playing Captain America. <laughs> you know, like, wow, finally, somebody who could play Captain America. And then when they cast Chris Evans, I was kind of disappointed until I saw the movie. And then when Hemsworth comes out of the story, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, who else are you going to have play that? I mean, yeah. And I'm sure we already touched on Charlie Cox's Actually, we Daredevil didn't. and all that. No, yeah, we talked about We didn't it. talk anything about any of the TV, which I think is a... I thought we talked about nope. D'Onofrio. Oh, well, I've got to edit this in a different order then, because D'Onofrio is maybe the greatest casting of any Marvel villain of all time. Maybe better than Ian McKellen. D'Onofrio is Kingpin. Who else can play that role? Screw Michael Clark Duncan, God rest his soul. But I mean, like... For the role he was given in that film, I think he does an an okay job. But D'Onofrio inhabits so much more. I mean, he's given so much more to work with. It helps that he looks so much like the character from the page. It's insane. To me, he yeah. is Kingpin. And he even overacts a lot, but it's still like, but oh I my god. I feel like god. he overacts in the right way. It feels fitting for the moment. Yeah, he's supposed to look intimidating and larger than life, and he nails it. Especially since he is like 6'7 and like 350 pounds. Yep, that's Kingpin. <laughs> there you go. And again, with Marvel casting, you know, uh, Charlie Cox is Daredevil, John Barenthal is the Punisher. Um, How brilliant uh, is that? So, so good. So good. <laughs> it's like he, I, I, now I can't imagine anyone else ever playing Punisher ever again, which is fine because what else did we have before that? <laughs> and and I love Tom Jay and, and we all love, you know, we all love Dolph Lundgren for our own reasons. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's Barenthal is the Punisher. And that's and that series is the most underrated of the Marvel I would agree. TV it, I mean, it's 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 I've so rewatched that and I've rewatched Daredevil. I haven't felt the need to rewatch any of the other ones. Jessica Jones is still good. Oh, I guess no. I guess we've forgotten about David the Purple Tenet? Man. How good is he in that? He's a terrifying he is. villain. Yes, but again, but that's also a, a character that you can make your own because there isn't much mm-hmm. on the page to work with. So, um, I also liked uh, Marshala Ali as um, was it Copperhead? Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. I think uh, the guy that got to play uh, Cage. Uh, Power Man. <laughs> Power Man. Well, I mean, come Mike on. Coulter, is that right? Yeah, Michael Coulter. Yeah, I think he's yeah. great in that role. That show is hit and miss. The actors in it are so above and beyond. Like Marshall Alfred Ali, Woodard. Um, Alfred Woodard as Black Mariah and uh, just absolutely nails it. Uh, such good casting. And those are such good casting that we kind of overlook the also good casting. Maybe not like home run cast. The guy that plays... Um, Foggy mm-hmm. Nelson, he's great in that part, yeah. you know? The guy that plays Ben Urich. In fact, almost all of Daredevil is just immaculately There casted. isn't much of anything that I would do differently. 
I mean, there was never a better fanboy moment for me. Well, I mean, there <laughs> yeah. are some great yeah. fanboy moments. Maybe but, uh, I mean, not. not yeah, I won't yeah. say no. Uh, one of my top like what, ten what, a fanboy, fanboy moment moments. that I really like. Season two of Daredevil, which people don't like, uh, which I don't understand because I think it, you know, it does such a great job of introducing Punisher and how important that is and and how to juxtapose Punisher to Daredevil. When they do their old boy scene where Punisher is in prison and has to kill oh. 50 guys that Kingpin right. six on him, still survives. And then Kingpin beats the living bejesus out of him easily. It just sets this perspective. Like you understand how powerful Kingpin is. You understand how badass Punisher is. And then there's Kingpin. There's a reason he's there's the reason he's Kingpin. Yeah. That's you one know? of the the only things well, not I mean it's one of the major things I disliked about Nah, that's not even true. It is one thing I disliked about Hawkeye when Kate Bishop takes him on and she's kind of like pseudo holding around. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean they try. They try to prove that he can take a bigger hit than most people. Yeah, but I mean it's like I you know, I've I've seen this guy like punch brick and he's and he's knocking this little you know 18 year old girl around and she's she's fine yes i thought that was kind of dumb too i think that whole show was kind of a letdown i mean for florence Pugh, that probably would have been yeah, a real that's fine. fine um it didn't really do what i yeah, wanted to I mean, do but that's you know not everything's for me right you know when do i get what i want <laughs> to, to i think quote. one of the casting at, at least before we go that i did want to touch on is a 2000s one that really nailed it. Tom Welling as young Clark Kent. Uh, Interesting. I really okay. liked, again, a guy who doesn't really feel like he has really much charisma. True. But I also <laughs> like True. that for a coming of age Clark Kent. He allows all the characters around him to kind of carry the story. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I like that. And Michael Rosenbaum. I think the pairing of those two. He's um, great. In fact, uh, they tried to get Rosenbaum back for Crisis on Infinite Earths in the CW, but he was his scheduling was unavailable. And I would have loved to see him again as Lex Luthor. I think he's an underrated Luthor. I see what they're doing with, with uh, John Cryer. Yeah, John. I see what they're doing with John Cryer, but what, what are they uh, doing with John Cryer? He's Lex in... Luthor in the Arrowverse. Is he's he? Lex Luthor. Okay. Yeah, and I know why they're doing it. It's because of Superman 4. That's why Helen Slater shows up. That's why you see John Wesley ship as Jay Garrick. Also inspired. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Inspired yes. casting. They're calling back, you know. They have a lot of access to these – a lot of these actors who don't really have a ton going on but still hold, like, you know, a niche in a lot of geek hearts. It's, it's an easy way to mine that. Honestly, there's too much for us to list because there are so many great castings and a lot of them are overlooked because either the movies were bad or there were so many other bad castings that it kind of like overshadows it. But there's a lot of little things that are really, really good in a lot of those movies. Maybe we should have broke this up into two halves, good ones and bad ones, because we could go on about David Hasselhoff and, you know, uh, Lisa Renna as Contessa de Fontaine. That, that was Lisa Renna played her in the David Hasselhoff S.H.I.E.L.D. movie. I mean, they just did whatever they wanted i mean at that point in time they didn't care about any of this do you remember who wrote that uh it's not goyer is it it's david goyer so david goyer wrote the made for tv nick fury agent of shield with david hasloff and then batman begins then uh man of steel boy this makes a lot of sense i mean that the ultimate up and down writer a lot of properties in general. Well, like Zach Penn and Simon Kinberg, mm-hmm. too. You know? All right. 
same year as Nick Fury, Age of the Shield, you get Dark City and Blade. David Gurry wrote yes. all three of those. Are we just doing like uh, on air? Yeah, I ran out of script yeah, okay. a while ago. So I, how about I, we just wrap this up? Well, we'll wrap this up. So I know this was a chaotic one, but this is what chaos magic gets you. So <laughs> please, <laughs> Doctor Strange walks in. There's no such thing as chaos magic. Thanks for listening to us dick around on a microphone for God knows how long. It's for been. you guys, it's been I don't know an hour. <laughs> Maybe an hour. It's been like seven hours <laughs> for Jake and I. It's been the extended uh, release of all three Lord of the Rings movies. We've done the extended Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. But we do this every Tuesday, so <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But thank you guys for tolerating us. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe in wherever you get your podcast. Please yeah. rate and review. If you have any feedback for us, you know, get in contact. We're on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, The Moon. Friendster, Pony Express, Zanga, <laughs> MySpace. We implore you to support your local comic shops and retailers. This is an important thing that uh, needs to be done today of all days. <laughs> Not today, specifically today, but in, in the, today. Time, the time in which we live. The time in which we live, it's important to support your comic shops and retailers. From Dispatch Ajax, we'd like to say Godspeed, Fair Wizards. Remember. No matter where you go, 